Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to jump straight into our, our next section of Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, uh, as we think about our new series of not just creation, but new creation, God making all things new. So let's jump in at verse 26 uh, to follow up from where Jeff left off uh, from last week. So Genesis 1:26. then God said, having made all the things that he'd already made, let us make mankind, humanity in our image, in our likeness. Those few words there are where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, and I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Well, we're using the stories of Genesis 1 and 2, the accounts of creation, as a kind of launch pad to help us understand not just creation, but the new creation that God is doing in the world and in our very lives. And we've spoken about the fact that as part involved in this creation in Genesis 1 and 2, we see at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters and the darkness. That the Holy Spirit is so definitely present in the creation, but is also so definitely present in bringing about new creation within our lives. In Genesis 1, we find that as the Holy Spirit, in line with the Word of God, brings about the forming of creation, He also brings about the filling of creation at the Word of God. There's an abundance. That's what Jeff was speaking about last week about the creation. Whatever is happening, it seems to be in fullness and abundance in this great generosity of God's love and grace and His provision of the creation. And after surveying it, as we've just read there, after each section, God saw that it was good. And then following the creation of humanity, of human beings, of Adam and Eve, God steps back and he looks at this creation and he says, this is very good in all its fullness. And, and we come to this pinnacle of the creation, humanity being created. And the significance of this is marked and distinguished by the fact that everything up until this point 
was created in its own form, its own kind, its own likeness, but the creation of humanity is in the likeness or the image of God. It is reflecting who God is. It's a participation in God's likeness and God's image. And this pinnacle of creation, the creation of humanity, after God creates that, he doesn't just say it's good. He says it's very good. Such value that is placed on humanity, on you, on me, on all of human creation. I want you to hear that this morning because sometimes uh, uh, we ourselves, but also the world around us, doesn't necessarily create a picture of humanity that is one that inspires us. But according to the scriptures, we were created in the image and the likeness of God. There's a beauty about human creation, about you and I, because we've been created, not in just our own form, like all the rest of creation, but in the image and likeness of God. Now, what does that even mean? What does it mean for God to create us in the image of God and his likeness? And what does it not mean? Well, it means that we are like God, reflecting something of the godness, but we are not God and we are not God's much as we might try to make ourselves like that, or that we might feel that sometimes we are the gods of our own life, God is God. We are not many gods. But there is something about us that is the likeness and the image of God. We have been created in in a way that means we can know and be known by God. Our creation allows us to enter into a knowledge and an encounter and a relationship with the creator in ways that none of the rest of the creation does because we've been created in his image. There's a lot about artificial intelligence kicking around just now. And it is a creation, but it's not created in the way humanity is created, in the image of God and for all its ability to do all kinds of things, it has not been created in the image of God. Only humanity. And so we've been created to know and be known by God in ways that the rest of creation has not. On a relational way. And our fundamental original identity what it means to be truly human is found in this image and likeness of God. Well, we're all trying to work out, well, what does it really mean to be me? God has already said, I've, I've made you in my image to be in relationship with me. That is the starting point of all human identity. It's fundamental to who we are what it truly means to be human. And so I want to talk about that relational identity. So I don't know if the words are on the, the screen. Maybe you can uh, have the, uh, the slides up if we have them there. But the first thing I want to say about the image of God, when we're created in the image of God, and when we're created in the likeness of God, it, it means that there is a relational capacity. 
a relational capacity that we've been created with. God is a relational God, and he has made us to be a relational people in relationship with him and with each other. We've been created with a capacity for love and communion with God and knowing God. Human identity is rooted in relationship with God. Which is why when we are not rooted in a relationship with God, we struggle to find our sense of identity. Why? Because we're not living into the way we were created. Being human begins here. We've been created with a spiritual awareness, a spiritual capacity, a longing, almost like we have an internal antenna for intimacy with God. That's how we were created. Uh, The Westminster uh, Confession says that the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's how we were made, for communion with the great and awesome God who does great things. Identity starts there. We have that picture of God walking with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, just talking with them. It's a beautiful picture. It's that relational image of God, likeness of God identity, that we were meant for this relationship with him. This is what people talk about. You know, you've maybe heard this before, that when people discover life in Christ and this relationship with God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, What often they testify to is that until that point, they felt as if their words, there was a God-shaped blank or a God-shaped hole in their life. What are they saying? They're saying that there was something missing in who they were because God had made them for relationship with them, but they weren't in relationship with them. And so there was a loss, an empty, a hole, a God-shaped blank. Why? Because we were created in the image and likeness of God for this relationship with him. Ecclesiastes 3.11 reads like this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has set eternity in the human heart. If you wonder what that longing is for something else, it's a longing for God because he's created us in his image and in his likeness to be in relationship with him. That's the hunger. That's the longing. That's the empty place. It was there for God. And our identity is rooted in a relationship with God, but also with others. God created us male and female to begin this human community with God and to extend it. And as God is a relational God, so we are a relational people. Jesus reminded us, love God, love one another, love your neighbor. It's our ID. It's our identity, our relational people. And he created us male and female. And there's something in there that speaks of equality and community. The equity, the equality of the man and the woman. But also they're coming together in community and in community with God. And that they also would be the ones who give life to the extending community. Now, there is a lot that could be said in this simple phrase, 
of, and he created them male and female. A lot that can speak into the cultural issues that we face today about sex and gender and human sexuality and LGBTQI+. Now, there's too much for me to deal with that this morning, but we can't ignore it. And we can't remain silent on it. And it really needs its own time. And so rather than plowing into it this morning, um, Wednesday the 21st, we'll host here uh, some thoughts, reflections on how do we respond. Now, we've got another couple of sermons before then, one more which will focus on the image of God, which will help us, I think, when we meet that evening on the 24th. You're, very, you're all welcome to come. And we'll think a little more about how do we respond to some of these challenging issues in the light of the Genesis story and then the ongoing story of God. Because they're important issues. And so I'll remind you of that and we'll, we'll send information out about it. But in the end, as God creates his male and female, he creates us for community with him and with each other. I hope you're getting the sense of, of what this image of God and likeness of God means that we are created in a way the same as God that enters the relational life with him and his creation with each other. But there's a second thing I want to say about the image and likeness of God. There's the relational part, but then there's the representative part that we live and work out God's good purposes with him. When God creates humanity, when he creates Adam and Eve, when he creates male and female, he gives them something to do, but not just something separate from him, something to do with him. And the command that he gives on creation of humanity is the command to rule and subdue the rich creation that has been given to rule and subdue this rich creation. Now, God has created all of this, and surely you would think the rule and the reign and uh, the subduing of all of that is really God's domain. Isn't that what God is doing? And, and very much, in a sense, it is what God is doing. But in creation of humanity, God shares this with us. We share, we are his representatives in this work that is to be done, the ruling and the reigning and the subduing of the rich creation. We are his representatives as those created in his image. Now, this is important as we make our way in our journey through the scriptures. To rule in the image and likeness of God is to do so with righteousness and holiness because that's how God rules. God rules with righteousness, with holiness, with justice, with peace. That's how God would reign and rule. That's how he would reign in shalom, in peace over his creation. And he says, now join me in that. Be my representatives on the earth who will rule and reign and subdue and steward the earth. But do it like me, says God in righteousness and holiness, in justice and peace. Do it as God would do it. And that's as we go through scriptures and into the New Testament, how we come into the wording of the kingdom of God. 
God's reign and rule into which we are invited in Christ and the Spirit. The kingdom of God, how we are to understand what's right and wrong, what's good and evil, what's helpful, what's harmful. We understand it from God's righteousness and justice, not from our own. Who determined what was right and wrong? Who determined what was good and evil? Who determines what is helpful and harmful? Who determines this? Through whose eyes are we to see this shared reign and rule that God has given humanity? God's perspective or our own? And as we go on in the story of Genesis 1 and 2, you'll note that there's a warning that is given by God about not eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's all kinds of abundance that God has given, such generosity. And amidst it all, God says to them, you can have whatever you want in here, but just don't eat of this one tree. And what is the tree? It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God understood what was good and what was evil, what was right and what was wrong. And he wanted us to share in that with him. But let's read the warning. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is not on the screen. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What does that mean? Well, eating of the tree is like taking the understanding and determination of good and evil out of God's hands, which is very good in God's hands, and into our own hands and determining it ourselves. That is not good. And that's been the whole problem with humanity. We've decided that we will determine what is the good and the evil, the right and the wrong, the helpful and the harmful, instead of allowing God to determine that. As if somehow we would own the knowledge of good and evil rather than allowing it to be God. We no longer become his representatives when we do this. But what do we do? We make ourselves gods. We'll decide. That's not how this image of God, likeness of God works. God has already determined What is right and wrong and good and evil and hurtful and harmful or helpful? We create our own kingdom rather than represent his kingdom when we ignore God and decide we will determine. We move ourselves from the kingdom of life and light to one of death and darkness, which was exactly what happened in the Genesis story and then throughout the whole of Scripture. And of course, the true embodiment of God's good kingdom. His kingdom rule is found in Jesus who came back to announce the good news of the kingdom of God, to restore it. Jesus who declares in Mark 10 that his rule is about a life of serving, not being served. It's about self-giving in love. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lordship and sharing in what Jesus is doing and sharing in the image 
And the likeness of God means servanthood. A relinquishing of the love of power for the power of love. The love of power creates within us a God's or God-like complex that I will be the one who's in charge. I will have the power. I will determine. But it is not the love of power. It is the power of love that Jesus demonstrates in this kingdom of what is right and wrong, good and evil, helpful or harmful. And the rule into which humanity is commissioned as representatives is one of peaceful and loving service to God, to one another, and to the rest of creation. Being created in the image of God is of great significance. It's of great honor and blessing and privilege that God confers on humanity that we would be representatives of his image. We're relational, but we're representative. We are working with God in his kingdom reign and rule. And then just quickly, lastly, before I move on, we have the relational, the representative of the image of God, but we're also rational and responsible. Well, sometimes we're rational and responsible, but the capacity to be rational and responsible. That we have freedom of choice, that rational ability, that identity that's rooted in a freedom to choose and to choose God or to not choose God. There's something about the freedom that we've been given, that rational that it is both for our good, but also there is the capacity for us to use it for poor, evil, wrong, ill. But we are free in our choice. And for us truly to encounter love and the love of God, choice must be there. Otherwise, we're just forced robots into something that we never asked for. But in our choosing and our freedom of choice, we also carry with us a moral and personal responsibility. We're responsible for the choices we make. Freedom carries responsibility. Our choices have consequences and implications, which is why we need to be in deep relationship with God. So we're making choices out of the goodness of God and not out of our own power kingdoms or God-like status. Our choices, when they are aligned with God, keep us aligned with his goodness. Or if we don't, they take us away from him. And that's the story of the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. That out of all of the abundance that they have access to, Adam and Eve choose the one thing that God had told them not to do. It's a strategy of the enemy. He's been doing it ever since. The devil goes around telling us, you know what, if, if, you, if you come to God, you're just going to face a list of no's and don'ts and shouldn'ts and mustn'ts. It's a lie of the devil. God gives all of this abundance. And he, one thing he says don't do. And that's what the devil's been focusing on all the time. But God comes to give us abundance. And so in spite of all that they had received, Adam and Eve choose the one thing and there are consequences. There's responsibility in our freedom of choice. 
as we're created in the image and likeness of God. And that fall of humanity raises the question, can the image of God and the likeness of God ever be restored again? Well, the answer is, yes, it can. We can have this restoration. Now, there are various ways that theologians of across the history have understood this. People like Tertullian and Irenaeus, Eastern Orthodox Church have. Some of the early church fathers spoken about the image of God remains, but the likeness has been tarnished. So we still carry the image of God, but the likeness of God has been tarnished. There's other ways that people have spoken about the image being damaged, almost like um, you know, if you shatter a windscreen, the windscreen is still there, but it really has been shattered into pieces and it reads repaired. Well, whatever way, can we imagine that God is in the work of restoration? Restoring the image and the likeness of God? Is there an answer to the separation that we feel? Is there hope for some kind of restoration? Thanks be to God, the answer is yes. And it's found in Christ and the cross and the spirit of God. God did not leave us in our place of brokenness or separation, but has come to us and continues to come to us in Christ and the Spirit. The restoration of good is not something we do. It's an act of grace that God is doing. We cannot restore what is lost. God is doing that and has done, has done that in Christ and in the Spirit. He is the one who is making all things new. That which has been corrupted, that which ha has been sullied, that which we were created for, the image and likeness of God that feels like it's being destroyed is being renewed in Christ and the Spirit. Let's think, first of all, about Christ and the cross. Let's move into the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. He that is Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, all authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Well, that really establishes the work of Jesus, the Son of God in creation. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent first. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All of the separation, all of the damage, all of the destruction is being taken on to Jesus in the cross and in his death. And in that death, it is taken to the grave. But as Jesus comes into new life in the resurrection, he is bringing about the new creation for all things, including for humanity. This is the new creation in Christ and the cross. The old is gone, the new has come. Hallelujah. There is hope. 
We've been created in the image and the likeness of God, but in truth, there's been damage and separation. But in Christ and the cross and the resurrection, it is being made new. We are being made new. And that's where we find our new sense of who we are, that image of God, that likeness of God. It's found in Christ and the cross. That's where our new identity begins. And just as Jesus is involved in bringing about the creation of all things, so now in his death and resurrection, he is also now bringing about the new creation. I'm quite excited about this, people. There is hope for newness. The new creation of God within us and among us, this new relationship, this new kingdom, this new representation of God on earth as it is in heaven. This, the new community, the people of God, all things new in Christ and the Spirit. And Jesus through whom all things were made is now also the one through him all things are being made new. This broken, fallen humanity is to be healed. And the relationship of the image of God is restored in Christ. Here's how the Apostle Paul summarizes the problem and the solution. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now notice it was the hardening of their hearts that meant they didn't understand. Hardening of their hearts to God. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Paul is giving a running commentary on how humanity has substituted God's ways, which are good, for our own ways, which are not. We are no longer representatives, therefore, but self-made gods. And that we have done so to such an extent that we no longer notice the wrong we do. We have become desensitized to that which is right and wrong according to the pattern of the creator. It's like picture that we have built a wall around us in some way and above us so that we can't even get a sense of hearing or seeing God. Because we, we've, we've gone in our own way and mapped out our own footprint and built walls of our kingdoms. So we begin to find that we can't even sense or hear or see God. But that's not the end of the story. God has graciously yet powerfully interrupted the darkness and the futility of our thinking and in Christ. He enters the gap of separation. He breaks down the walls. Let's read on. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That's a choice we need to make. The putting off of the old the old that is being corrupted by deceitful desires so we can get back to the desires of God. 
to be made new in the attitude of our minds. God, to do that renewal in us, we receive that renewal, we pursue that renewal in Christ and the Spirit. And to put on the new self, the new creation, created what? To be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To restore the image and likeness of God in Christ and the Spirit. There it is. The restoring of the divine image in humanity. But how does it work? Is it, is it just on us? Well, I just have to choose this. We decide, we receive, we pursue. Well, these things are important. After all, we're free to choose. But it is the Holy Spirit that is work within us that makes all of this real. All the work of the new creation, all that God has done in Christ and the Spirit as we receive it, all that God has done in the cross. It is the Spirit of God that makes that real and works its truth from the inside out so that we are becoming this new creation in Christ and in the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who works in us. The same Spirit who hovered over the darkness and the emptiness of Genesis 1 now also hovers over us, longing to restore us back to the good of the image of God and the life that we were created for. God-likeness, or what we might more commonly call Christ-likeness. John Stott wrote this. I remember very vividly some years ago that the question which perplexed me as a younger Christian was this. What is God's purpose for his people? Granted that we have been converted, granted that we've been saved and received new life in Jesus Christ, what comes next? Of course, we knew the famous statement of the Westminster Shorter Catechism that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We knew that and we believed it. We also toyed with some briefer statements, like one of only five words, love God, love your neighbor. But somehow neither of these nor some others that we could mention seemed wholly satisfactory. So I want to share with you where my mind has come to rest as I approach the end of my pilgrimage on earth. And it is, God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. Why? Because it restores the image and likeness in which we were created. The priority of Christ-likeness in the Spirit allowing the Spirit of God to work in us to bring us to Christ-likeness again. Creation and now new creation. That's what we were made for, to live in the image of God. And our understanding of what it truly means to be human begins with Jesus Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit who renews us in his image and likeness, just as we were created right in the beginning. I love this from David Wilkinson. Humanity is so fully shown in Jesus that he is the only true human being. The rest of us marred by the rebellion against God, yet created in his image and offered salvation by him are human becomings. I like that. Human becomings on the way to full humanity. And as we pursue Jesus, and as we open our lives to the work of the Spirit, we are becoming what we were intended to be when God created us 
in his image and likeness. Romans 8, 29, a few scriptures to leave with you as we finish. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The work of God, the work of the Spirit in our lives is to conform us to the image of His Son, Christ-likeness. Or 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, that's a picture of the restored relationship. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. There's great hope in that, that we are being transformed from day to day into the likeness of Christ, into his image, that ever-increasing glory. That's our journey. That's our destiny. We, We might not feel as if we're perfect right here just now, But God in Christ and by the Spirit is restoring that image and likeness of God, of Christ within us. I remember a lady in our congregation when I was a little boy and uh, growing up in, in Parkhead. She was the minister's wife, Bessie Martin. And I never ever thought of her as a charismatic worshiper, particularly until she sang the last verse of Charles Wesley's hymn, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. And when you get to the last verse, we would all, the row of us, all these young guys, at primary school and secondary school, as soon as we got to that verse, we would look over to Mrs. Martin, who would suddenly stand up with a handkerchief in her hand and waving it around with such joy and celebration as she began to sing These words, finish then thy new creation, true and spotless, let us be. Let us see thy great salvation, perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee. Lost in wonder, love and praise. That's beautiful. And that's not just a future thing. That's what the Spirit of God in Christ is bringing to us in the restoring of that which was done at creation. Creation and new creation in Christ and the Spirit. We are being restored in Christ, being changed from glory into glory the more we follow him, the more we love him, the more we give our lives to him, the more the spirit of God consumes us, the more our hearts are changed, a new heart and a new spirit, Ezekiel talks about. And in all of this, we are being made new. Thanks be to God. Don't feel hopeless today. We are being made new. We have hope in a God who loves us and longs to walk and work with us 
I don't care who you are this morning. That's what God longs for. We have hope because God has created us with such value. He's created us in his image, even if it's been marred. And hope that God is still at work in his creation. That in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. And praise God, hope that he's still open to working in your life and in my life. Changing us from glory to glory till in heaven we take our place. Thanks be to God. We were made in his image. And we are being renewed into that image. Lord, I pray that you would lift up our heads to see who we really are. The humanity that has been created in the image of God. How much you love and value us. And Father, forgive us that it was somehow easier for us to go our own way, almost as if to become our own God. Father, forgive us. When what you made us for was to participate with you in the reigning and ruling in the beauty of this creation, we did our own thing. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us that still in our lives we, we seem to do that. But in this moment just now, and particularly as we come to this communion meal, the bread and the cup pointing to your death, where you shed your blood for us, where in your death somehow new life comes. Where in your death all that we have done that has been part of our walking away from you, our disobedience to you, our rebellion against you. All of it is nailed on Christ. Here we find forgiveness and liberation from the sin that so easily entangles us. But hallelujah, it does not end on the cross, but you have overcome even death. Our rebellion against you has led us to death, but you have brought us life again. Thank you for resurrection life. And so Lord, I pray that as we take this bread and cup this morning, we'll remind ourselves that the cost of the cross reaffirms the great value that God has placed on us as his children, his sons and daughters, the ones he created in the image of himself, the likeness of himself. People of God, those of you who are here, you are loved by God. And he wants to make all things new within you, day to day, changing us from one degree of glory to another, restoring the image, the beauty, the likeness of God within us. Lord, stir hope within us that more is yet to come in this new creation. I pray in Jesus' name.